What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could come from you, the listener, by heading over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. There, you can be a monthly supporter of the show and my writing that the brilliant Sam Harris describes as basically one less cup of coffee per month. If that's feasible, I'd love to have your continued support. But if not, that's totally fine too, as there are other ways of supporting the show. If you're an Apple Podcasts or iTunes listener, you can leave the show reading and a review that is very quick and very painless and something that I'd very much appreciate and will help other people find the show. I'd also like to quickly remind you that you can listen to the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, which is pretty cool, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Lastly, don't forget to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com where you can find quick, easy access to all of my previous episodes, all of my articles. I'm writing a lot there now, how to contact me, and much more. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Eric Thompson of the Daily Norseman is back on the podcast late on a Wednesday to talk about his uh, Vikings somehow signing another CFL guy. Like, who is this? I saw you tweeting about him. I read that earlier today, and I, I'm glad that uh, you're already making the comparisons to um, Adam Thielen. So I'm glad you already got your Adam Thielen replacement when he inevitably gets paid a bunch of money to go join like the Patriots or the Packers in a couple of years and is awesome for the next 10. So I'm glad you were able to sign the Adam Thielen replacement today. Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. The coolest part is he went to um, college at Concordia Moorhead, not to be confused with Concordia St. Paul, which I think is might be a little bigger school. Um, they are the Division Three school out of Moorhead, and of course, I went to school at North Dakota State, uh, just across the river from them. Uh, and they were, you know, they were just just another school. A couple guys I went to high school with actually played there at Concordia, and so. Um, he's a local Minnesota guy. He's from Spicer, Minnesota, and uh, he just kind of um, went to the CFL. He's 6'3", 220 or something like that, I believe. And um, I think he led the league um, in his second year uh, in the CFL in receiving. So it's another one of those that, you know, it's worth a shot at least after what they have with uh, what they found with Adam Thielen. Definitely worth putting him on the 90-man roster heading into the uh, training camp next year. Didn't the Bears with Emory and Mark Tressman do something similar? Didn't they sign some kind of CFL legend and that did not work out? Yeah, I, I mean, that. for the most part, CFL legends do not work out because I believe the Vikings had, um, I think it was Terrell Sinkfield. Um, they've had a guy in, in camp the last couple of years who was a CFL receiver. And, you know, this is a very debatable, but he ran like a 4-1 four, four something or 4-2 something. What? 40, yeah, it was a... Super duper fast forty, but it was of course it was kind of debatable. Anyways, he was turns out uh, at least in camp he was just 
just fast, and that was about it. <laughs> not, not much of a wide receiver. So, yeah, these CFL. So it was a metric system. It was a metric system. It must have been. Yes. Yes. Like. He was. Mm-hmm. He was. <laughs> he was running the the, the thirty five meters apparently instead. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so most of these CFL guys usually don't pan out. That's usually why they're in the CFL in the first place. But um, at least he has the the at least the one year of pedigree there. To, it's I think it's worth kicking the tires on him for sure. Yeah, I mean. Hey, they've already, but I will say it It would be amazing. Like whoever the wide receivers coach is for the Vikings, if he turns Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, and uh, the CFL guy into just a marvelous trio while also just not getting anything out of Laquan Treadwell, it's just, it, it, <laughs> the Vikings receiver situation just, I think kind of um, helps Belichick's kind of issues and how like the one thing he's never been able to figure out is how to draft receivers. And uh, maybe it's just, it's almost impossible. It's like the Vikings are the same way. They draft Con Treadwell, and then he's like just the odd man out, and he doesn't work out. But then, of course, Thielen and Diggs and all these other guys work out. It's, I think, it, man, I think drafting receivers might be the hardest thing. It, it, it seems like it's just almost impossible to predict how these guys are going to turn out once they get to the next level. Yeah, I mean, you have the metrics, and you have, it's really hard to, especially now with the college game running so much spread, just how much. Um, you know, you see on film that you can really trust. I think, I, and I, I think Treadwell is as much of a bad rap as he's gotten, as much as dismal as his first few years have been. I think it's just he's kind of found himself be- behind two really good receivers. So, and of course, there's an ongoing debate on Vikings Twitter. There's usually at least one or two plays on the All 22 where Treadwell gets open and Keenum just doesn't look his way. And <laughs> so, I, I, I still, yeah. I'm still holding out a little bit of hope for Treadwell. I think uh, if he keeps a little more of a positive attitude and uh, works hard again in the off season. I don't, I just don't think he's going to ever fill those first round shoes, but I definitely could see him being an important uh, possession receiver for the Vikings or another team down the road. Well, I'm glad that you've gotten a little bit more positive because I remember we were talking before the season, we were wondering if this guy was going to be on the roster next year. So maybe he will be, and maybe he does turn, turn the corner at some point, but I'm, I personally think he's kind of going the Brandon Perriman route where it's just, he is so interesting theoretically, and he would make so much sense for the team. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not there. But you know, Thielen's awesome. And hey, my first thought when he got that touchdown taken back against the Panthers a couple weeks ago, I was mad. And you would have been proud of me for <laughs> being upset about that touchdown getting called back because it it hurt me getting seeing that taken away from him because it was it was a catch. But then again, none of us know what a catch is anymore. Precisely. So who knows? Uh, so your team though. They have a first round bye. They do, and it. Um, I don't think you're gonna like my playoff predictions. I'm sorry, but you know what? I will say, I have a lot more faith in the playoffs, uh, the playoff Vikings, than I do the playoff Eagles. <laughs> and I don't know if a lot of people share that sentiment, but if I had to s- predict which team is more likely to get at least one playoff win this year, I would say the Vikings. But where are you at with uh, the first place Vikings? Who? By the way, I feel like I should say now it's official. Yep. I I feel like I called the Vikings winning this division this year in the off season. You did before any injuries to any quarterbacks. You did call it. I I wish I had as much enthusiasm, but of course, as a diehard, I had to talk you into it. Yeah, I, well, I said there were a lot of ifs. I could definitely see this happen, this kind of thing happening. But even a couple of the ifs that I didn't anticipate, like if Case Keenum comes out of nowhere and uh, over earns his two million dollars that they're paying him by tenfold, <laughs> yeah. you know, that wasn't one of the ifs, or if uh, 
Dalvin Cook goes down in the fourth game, but Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray pick up like uh, nothing happened. I mean, that's... Did he go down that early in the season? It It felt so much later than that. That's crazy. That was when the Vikings... I was at that game, and I I swear to you, uh, I really... The moment he fumbled and went down in a heap after not getting hit, I'm like, that's his ACL, and that's the season. I said that to my wife who was sitting next to me. (laughs) Because the Vikings lost that game. They went 2-2, and and they lost to the Lions at home. It's like, okay, we've... We've seen this play before. You know, here comes another eight and eight at best kind of season. But uh, the Vikings have lost once since then, so this has been a pleasant surprise all around. Oh man! Well, I'm happy for you, but you know, I, I think it's fair to say that even if Sam Bradford doesn't go down, I think they still win the division with Case Keenum. No offense to Case Keenum, but I think Bradford or Keenum was still winning the division for this team. Oh. I think Bradford obviously was super comfortable with Shermer, and that was like part of the reason that just seeing how they were playing down the stretch last year and his continuity with the offensive coordinator and just believing the defense and thinking Mike Zimmer is just a really awesome coach. Like Everything just made sense to me about this team. And it does suck that Bradford's not really a part of this and but you know, we want we, like we saw the videos. Back practicing, looks better. Yep. Apparently, the knee is back. He went to Europe. He got the Kobe treatment <laughs> in the knee, and maybe uh, he's turning the corner because the way they described it. I remember talking to Ethan on the podcast about this a couple weeks ago. I guess maybe a month or two now. But like, I did. We were debating like who, which team was just being more disingenuous and just uh, lying about the status of their quarterback the Vikings with Bradford, the Colts with luck, because the way they were describing Bradford was just so weird. And when (laughs) just seeing like, just, he has just knee problems. It's just, they're not even going like super in depth. It's just like, he just has a bad knee now. Mm -hmm. And just seeing him try to move on. It was like, I don't know how you fix that without getting like knee replacement surgery. The only other person I've seen walk around like Sam Bradford is my grandfather who needs knee replacement (laughs) surgery. Like it, it looked bad. Like I just, I I don't understand like how they were, he was ever going to come play football again. And then, you know, you watch those videos, but maybe there's something in the water in Minnesota. Cause you know, Teddy Bridgewater, he comes back too. And I was, I'm not going to lie. As great of a season as it's been just, the like the best part about watching that this year was seeing Teddy Bridgewater, the ovation that he got coming out in the field. Now, granted, he did have the tip ball turned into a pick on his first pass, but irrelevant. It's all about the ovation that he got uh, right. when he stepped back on the field. So that that was really really cool. Yeah, I mean, I was at that game as well, and that was the loudest. I've been to probably six or seven games now at US Bank Stadium, and that was by far the loudest I've ever heard that stadium give. It was absolutely incredible. And yeah, of course. Uh, you know, the Hollywood script when he throws a touchdown on his first pass, but of course <laughs> that wasn't the case. But just seeing him on the field and going forward, it's going to be Case Keenum, obviously, for the playoffs. You don't make a change at a 13 and 3 team unless, you know, he's going, uh, Case Keenum's going full Trent Dilfer and you have these other options. But if, yeah. if something were to happen, having, you know, the Vikings really do have three, in my opinion, three viable options at quarterback right now. Are, yeah. are any of them superstars? They're the Tom Brady's and the Drew Brees of the world? No, but I think that all three, you know, if something does happen to Keenum in the playoffs, they can go to Teddy or Bradford and really not lose much in the offense. And now it just comes back to this really complicated offseason they, they have ahead of them. Mm-hmm. I, it's going to be really interesting to see what Spielman does with this team. Yeah. I, I don't know what he does with this quarterback situation because he has some very, very tough decisions, but they're not there yet. So we don't need to focus on that yet. That will come later on. The Packers can deal with that. They can, they're the ones that have to deal. I know you're enjoying that. They're front office restructuring and going through this weird situation. Ben McAdoo coming back 
they're getting the band back together. Vic Fangio <laughs> might be their new DC. Get excited, Green Bay. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think it's I think they'll be fine either way. But I am pretty confident in this team. Um, I think Xavier Rhodes has been awesome. I love watching him work. He's been great, and I I do believe in this defense. And Keenum's been great. And I came away from that Panthers game, and I thought like I made sure to like watch every snap of that because I was just really interested to see because I thought that could be a second round playoff matchup, and just seeing how those two looked against each other. And I thought it was really close. And I think that's one of those games where it just depends where they play. And the fact that the Vikings will get to play at home up until they potentially have to play the Eagles on the road. I think that's huge for them because if it's a coin flip, like it, I think it will be for a lot of these games, just being at home gives them a real advantage and just how tough of a place it is to play in Minnesota. I, it, man, like I really hope we get Rams Vikings in the second round. And that's, as a Falcons person, but I don't <laughs> think the Falcons are beating the Rams and the Vikings back to back. That I don't. This team watching all sixteen like that's just not happening. I, I understand that there is a the sentiment in Atlanta this week is well they've been there before mm-hmm. they have playoff experience. That's the th- and I'm just I, I don't think it's a real thing. I I mean I just I'm not there. If you watch this team all year, like yes they're playing a little bit better, but. I don't know how you can believe that this team's winning on the road in Los Angeles with Gurley and Goff and everybody else playing and just Aaron Donald's just going to make Matt Ryan's life very uncomfortable. And I, I don't know. I don't see a really good avenue for the Falcons winning on the road or winning in a shootout because I think that's probably what they're going to have to do is I, the Falcons defense sucks. It's still like 23rd in defensive DBA, yeah. I believe right now. And Gurley's going to have room to move. And I just... I think the Rams are going to put up a lot of points, and I don't believe Sark in this offense, which is very different than a year ago, which is why I don't buy the whole they've been there, they got to the Super Bowl last year argument because this is not the Kyle Shanahan offense from a year right. ago. Like, that's a different story. Like, I, of course I believe. Like, just seeing what they did in the last five games with Jimmy Garoppolo, sure. Yeah, if that was the case, if Kyle Shanahan or someone, like one of his assistants or someone else was running this offense, sure. But that's not what's happening this is a fine offense Devonte freeman still doesn't look the same and taylor gabriel hasn't had the same kind of season i just i don't see an avenue where they can keep pace with the rams but i do think the rams vikings will be a bloodbath if those two get matched up and you know case keenum very familiar with the rams and yeah. from a year ago that defense at least so I, I think there's a lot of elements that would make that game just super interesting on a lot of levels yeah and of course we saw it you know not too long ago a couple months ago and the vikings did a really good job at shutting down the rams but there were a couple bounces in that game you know if cooper cup makes a, a catch i believe it was on it was it was a crucial play that could have either extended a drive or just led to a yeah no you're yeah, yeah um and just the fact that uh, they had the turnover right at the one-yard line that the fumble has, too. So I think um, a couple bounces in that game could be a lot closer. And, of course, yeah, those two defenses matching up. If that game was in L.A., I would probably have to say the Rams would be the favorite. But just the way that the Vikings defense is playing in that stadium, it's going to be hard for any team to come there and and beat them. I mean, it's, I definitely wouldn't pass, put it past a team like the Saints or the Rams. They're definitely more than – I think – that's that's the best part about this NFC bracket. Even with the the Eagles as debilitated as they are without Car- without Carson Wentz, anyone just in a one game scenario could beat anyone else in that bracket. I think because even the Eagles with as poor as Nick Foles has been since uh, replacing Wentz, they have a defense that can hold you to a thirteen to six game or something like that, force a couple turnovers and maybe set up a score. So 
I mean, it's it's weird, especially nationally, to hear that you know <laughs> the Vikings are kind of the favorite in the NFC. But again, it, I could see the the Falcons. The even that game against the Rams, I really don't like that matchup, especially. Um, one of the offensive linemen on the Falcons is out, is or he might be out. Um, shoot, I'm missing a name. But if they're missing anyone against Darren Donald, that's that's the poor Matt Ryan because Olavitre yeah. is the only one who's been on the injury report. But he was on there last week and he ended up playing okay. anyway. So I think they're gonna have everybody. But yeah, I'm pretty certain. Yep. I mean, the only the, they're pretty healthy right now, outside of Freeman, who still has not really. He just hasn't looked, looked right since those concussions, right? No. Yeah, I I have a yeah. feeling that might have something to do with it. That's that's a, kind of a bummer for them. And again, it's one of those maybe Jared Goff gets the deer in the headlights in his first career playoff game. Again, he's as bad as he was last year. Most of that I think is on Jeff Fisher and that previous staff. But I mean, he's he didn't look that great in that Vikings game they lost. And when they do go against. I think better defenses. Again, I don't think the Falcons are defense. You know, I think they're fast and they can cause some problems here and there. But when Goff has gone against some of the better defenses this year, he struggled. So that's another reason why you know, it, I would the, any of the especially that divisional round are going to be great. I think. But um, yeah, the Falcons could be. I, I could I could see them. You know, they like you said they they've been there before. They were there last year. Not a whole lot has changed with their roster, but I do think missing Kyle Shanahan is just. It seems like they they just aren't clicking. You know, they they they're this close to to putting together big games, but it just seems I don't know. It, I think they're clicking part, with yards. Like they're still right. top ten. I mean, I think they're eighth in offensive DVOA right now. Like if you watch them, it's more frustrating because they still drive down the field a lot. I mean, Matt Ryan's had a lot of unlucky interceptions this year, but. There, he's definitely not as good. It's I think there's a disconnect where both things can be true. Matt Ryan's not as good, and he's also been unlucky. I think those two can be true, but a lot of people get really upset, and it turns out there are a lot of people that are super strong Matt Ryan defenders now, and it's fine. I mean, Matt Ryan's good enough. Like, he can win a Super Bowl. Like, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Like, Matt, Matt Ryan's good. He's not the problem, but he's not helping either, and it's okay to also say that he's not as good as he was a year ago, which – it's fine because that's probably the best year he's ever going to have in his career. Right. That's, I mean, like, that, that was the outlier. That's okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's still a very it's good It's kind of like that Carson Palmer year <laughs> from like three years ago. Do you remember when he had that MVP year? And then the next year they were the NFC favorites. Yep. And then they ended up missing, and, the, soup, missing the playoffs altogether. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of more of what Matt Ryan is where – if everything clicks and he has the right coordinator, he is an MVP caliber, just a guy who can win the Super Bowl. And then when it's like a Sark year or a down year, it's like he's not bad, but it's just it's not the same. And it's just a slight step down. And that's just I don't know. It it's just really hard to get excited about this team. I think if the defense was a lot better, that would be one thing. But this defense still is just not very good. Yeah, they still need a couple of pieces, I think. And I, I like where Quinn has put a lot of their people in positions to succeed but yeah they're still a couple pieces away and yeah like you said with the offense it they're they're still very good they just aren't otherworldly good like they were last year i mean down the stretch especially in the I right mean, zone. they don't finish it when yeah. you get inside the 20 with this team it's just so frustrating like you just expect things to not finish well it's uh it's not great indeed but oh well it's fine <laughs> it, they're it's it's fine hey they're, they're in they it, it, they're it in. was yeah. that was up in the air until last week that's true are you at all worried about the whole hosting the Super Bowl situation and no team ever getting to the Super Bowl when it's in their city? I would be the greatest problem I could ever think of, Jason. <laughs> because especially okay. if, if one of those, 
and of course, like I'm a little worried about the atmosphere because especially those two games, hopefully that the Vikings have leading up to it are going to be absolutely insane. And the atmosphere in those championship games and the divisional games is it's it's going to be way different. It, no matter where the Super Bowl is played, it's always going to have that little bit of a you know antiseptic kind of corporate feel just because tickets are going out to so many different kinds of entities and everything. And of course, I'm I'm a little worried about the just living in the Twin Cities, how crazy it might be, because I think everyone's going to try to get to tickets to every single event and every you know <laughs> every bar is going to be packed to the gills. I mean, they're doing things at Mystic Lake Casino. Like, they have huge names throughout the week. And Mystic Lake Casino is a solid half hour, 45 minutes out of the Twin Cities. So, like, they're doing, like, everything in the whole uh, area is going to be absolutely nuts here. But, um, I boy, I hope that, that that is the problem that we have to run into, just to have that, uh, all, the, all the, those terrible headaches of having the home team, at my especially my home team, in my, uh, in my backyard playing in the Super Bowl. I think it'd be bad for the hotel industry in your city. Like that's something this the college football championship's gonna run into is I think Bumani Jones tweeted this out of just like the having Georgia and Alabama play in Atlanta and the championship game's a disaster because everybody's just gonna Uber there and then <laughs> Uber back home. No one's staying downtown or anything. And a lot of people live close enough where they can drive back and don't have to even really spend time like going to anywhere in the city or don't have to make a weekend of it that this is actually kind of a disaster that it's held here because that's just how it works and it makes a lot of sense and i wonder how that will go if minnesota gets in and they're the first team in like um what that does to the city and how much money they can make if half the fans there already are there yeah that is true uh, nothing will change but i think um I, I think they'll still be fine because it, it sounds like just about everything's kind of booked out already a month in advance kind of regardless. So well, there you go. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fine. But yeah, I, I guess it probably, um, I have heard a couple, you know, local business people kind of saying, yeah, especially the hotel industry is like, okay, well maybe if, uh, if no one has to travel, that could be kind of bad news. But these, they usually, um, there should be enough people flying in from all around the country, I think, regardless. They still have the other team to play. If it is the Patriots, that kind of makes a little bit more of a risky kind of proposition for a lot of the businesses. Because you figure, if you're a Patriots fan, it's like, okay, now we got to go to another Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> they, they go almost every other year. And I was gonna say that's so so sad. They have to go to another yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I just I just can't afford this. Well, that's kind of the way I am with my. Uh, alma mater NDSU I went to three games they're in the national championship game again and I uh three uh, I went to three games in a row and they didn't make it last year but now they made it down again this year and it's it's played in Frisco Texas every year and I had friends ask so you're going again I'm like oh you know I'll, I'll just wait for the next time kind of, <laughs> kind of attitude so maybe that's it, it won't be that long before I had the opportunity to go back yeah exactly this will not be the last time they're there yeah uh that's a good problem to have so do you think as of right now, do you have the Vikings as the as a Super Bowl team? What is your Super Bowl prediction before we get started in the playoffs? Like, what is your pick? And I'll give you mine. I mean, it, it's 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 so scary because I believe the Vegas favorite Super Bowl matchup right now. I think it's four to one odds that it's the Patriots and the Vikings. And oh, again, like I that's I, mean, I think that kind of makes the most sense because the Patriots the number one seed. They're the Patriots. Um, Mm-hmm. And I just think with Wentz being out and the NFC South teams kind of have to beat up on each other in that first round, 
and the Vikings potentially having, you know, even if they do have to head to Philadelphia in that NFC Championship game, I I wondered if they would, you know, depending on how each of those their respective games go in that division round, I wouldn't be shocked if the Vikings were favored or if it was a pick'em or something like that in that game, just because of what the Vikings. Oh, I'd favor them over the Eagles with Nick Foles. With what we see with the Eagles in the last couple weeks, for sure, yeah. Exactly, and that's what, and I think you know, there's a good chance the Eagles might not be favored next week, depending on who they're, you know, if the Saints, if right, if to say the seeding holds up, oh yeah, Saints, I think the Saints will be at least a three point favorite next week, which is kind of crazy to to think that the you know the and that's a tough ask. Can you imagine the Saints like that? Them falling to the four seed really sucks for them because their road to the Super Bowl is gonna like it potentially will take a beating a really good Panthers defense at home. And then going potentially to Philadelphia, cold weather, outdoor city, and then Minnesota right after who they got drubbed by in uh, week one in an FC championship game. So like they have a really, really tough road after the kind of season they had. I I was a lot higher on them a couple weeks ago. Another team, by the way. So you can go back earlier in the podcast and I had a Canal Street Chronicles uh, writer and we talked about the Saints before the season got started. And he was talking up the Falcons and the Panthers. And I was like, I just look up and down this thing. And I just, the NFC South has a lot of turnover. And I, I don't think the Falcons are going to be as good. And I just, you know, the Saints make a lot of sense to me. They, they make a lot of sense in the NFC South winning it. So I'm glad that that happened too. Not because I want the Saints to win the South, but because I just had something. I like Dennis Allen, and Ethan gives me crap about this all the time, but I, I, I was all the way here for Dennis Allen getting that defensive coordinator elevation after Rob Ryan got fired because I thought he well, was actually a really good defensive mind. And, and, well, and, uh, that's another, and that's another one where it might be addition by subtraction, too. That might be the Jeff yeah. Fisher effect on that offense. Because I'm sorry. I'd have, or I'd, the North Turner to Pat Sherman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, it just <laughs> yeah, maybe to a lesser degree, but yeah, that might be it as well. So, but yeah, I mean, I I think we talked before the season, and I I said I thought the NFC South would probably be the toughest division in football. And, I've been, I could, of course, I think... I probably threw the Bucks in there a little more than uh, maybe the Panthers, but um, people do yeah, the Bucks stuff every year. I will never. I I'm so glad I've not done that in years. I don't know why people still do the play this game of the Bucks. This is the year the Bucks put it all together. Yeah, it's and it never happens. Believe me that well, outside of the their one Super Bowl year. But yeah, my uh, my old roommate is a huge Buccaneers fan because he's from the middle of North Dakota, and you can just you know you don't have any. Uh, geographical allegiance you can just kind of randomly choose whatever team you want so he was a bucks fan so i've i've you know been uh playfully uh teasing him for most of the, the season just like and of course he's like he's like well, watch we're gonna beat the saints and hurt our draft stock this week and sure enough <laughs> that's what they did so <laughs> but again but getting back to the trying to get john gruden yeah continue yeah but the um getting back to that path that the saints have what do you think personally? Because it's not, I mean, the Rams basically gave away last week. I mean, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo probably beats anyone at this point, but um, they, they sat all their starters. They seemed like they were cool with getting the four seed because they figured the Saints would have to win. I really think the Rams mm. are kind of trying to avoid getting Minnesota in the second round, which, I mean, I can't really mm. say I blame them because wouldn't you, I mean, if you're, I mean, say the Falcons, yeah. I mean, you're the Falcons fan wouldn't you rather go to philadelphia next week like you would be scheduled to rather than head to u.s bank stadium oh yeah for sure yeah i mean it's just that's yeah and i think the saints kind of maybe they just realized okay we're kind of locked into this 
uh, four seed now. It, it's it's kind of interesting to see how how everything kind of played out because I think the Rams were trying to avoid that third seed and they still kind of got it anyway. But of course, this Rams team with all they're built, I wouldn't be shocked if they um, head to the Super Bowl themselves. I mean, they're obviously young and not a, uh, super experienced, but they have talent on both sides of the ball. I have Patriots Rams in the Super Bowl. That's. I think that's what we're getting. That's not. That's not crazy. I don't. I. I can't say. I mean, Patriots and. You, I. I okay. You. You give any credence to the the Jags, having a chance. I just can't with Bortles. Especially a chance in what? A chance of making. I mean, that, a chance. that defense of making the Super Bowl. Oh no, no, they do not have a chance. Okay. Blake Bortles is not getting the Super Bowl. He's not winning three playoff games. That's not happening. <laughs> no, let's go ahead and knock that one. Out. All right, all right. Just, but just man, their defense is so good. And I just think if they can do what they did kind of at the beginning of the season and basically play without a quarterback, just run it to Fournette and depend on the defense, I just don't think they can hold up with I will never forgive them for allowing the Tennessee Titans to get in the playoffs this year. They are That is an unforgivable sin for them, and I will never, ever forgive them for that because well, this Titans team is awful, well, and I cannot believe they backed their way into this, this playoffs. Well, speaking of uh, you know trying to play for the seeds, I really think the Jaguars kind of just, I mean, they started most of their guys, but I didn't think they minded losing to the Titans because they knew they'd probably have to play them again next week. But nope, here come the Bills at the 16th yeah. instead. <laughs> I <laughs> that's that's going to be the lowest rated playoff game of all time, right? <sighs> Jags, um, Bills. I, I, I feel like there is... It's two of the smallest fan bases, that's for sure. And it's the Saturday... Or no, is it the Saturday? No, the Chiefs is the Saturday afternoon game, which is yeah, weird. Yeah, it's Sunday. Yeah. That's Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So maybe just it seems like the, uh, the the Saturday afternoon game is usually just the, the notoriously the lowest rated out of the four, just because Saturday afternoon is not a common time to watch NFL football. But uh, the Saturday night number is going to be insane. The I think the Falcons Rams game is just going to draw through the roof. I think everybody's going to be invested in that game. I think it has potential to be really really fun. I'm excited, but yeah, it uh, and just seeing I think just seeing the Coliseum at night. I, I, the visuals, I just think it's going to be a really cool atmosphere. Yep, and it's it's but, a uh, it's a cool matchup too. Like the, those, it's the you know kind of it's crazy to call the Falcons the old guard, but it's the the old against the new, you know, the new up and coming team from the NFC, just kind of like the Falcons were last year. So yeah, that that game should be great. And Sark returns to Los Angeles. He uh, gets true, to go boy. back to where it all began. Yeah, there you go. Um. Yeah, so uh, one last thing before we jump into this playoff round. Uh, do you have any like big thoughts on the head coaching changes that we've seen thus far? Um, well, I've, I kind of like a couple that were kept. I think getting rid of any coach, even, even if it's the Hugh Jackson Browns, after um, like Vance Joseph, I think, in Denver. He did, I don't know if he's going to be a good coach, but, I mean, but he, he, has, he deserves at least another year to – and a, you know maybe a quarterback uh, to get. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was a little surprised at the Del Rio firing, but I've, I'm guessing as soon as the Raiders knew that they could, my Aunt Gruden Del Rio is as good as gone. So that doesn't surprise me a ton. Yeah, the Bucks did the same thing. Like, right? Didn't they admit that the reason that Dirk Cutter's still the coach is they could they couldn't offer what the Raiders were offering for Gruden? Basically, basically yeah. The reason that Cutter's coming back. Yeah. What a that... show of just. <laughs> loyalty yep. we couldn't get the guy we wanted so we're gonna bring you back it's yeah Here, try again sure <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah that, that one i could i 
That's another one my old roommate wasn't exactly pleased with. He's like, oh, great, Cutter's going to save his job today. And he indirectly did. And he's in that. the best head coaching feud in the NFL right now with the, the shoulder pads with Payton. Sean Payton. Yeah. But was it the good luck to you? Was that the line? <laughs> yeah, uh, that was so that, uncomfortable. That is the kindest way of saying F you, I think. That, that's coach speak oh, for Dirk F you. Cutter has literally never said F you in his entire life. That guy has... Oh no, he he definitely he definitely says heck. He yep. says to heck with you. There is zero percent chance that. <laughs> I you know what I would say the biggest one that surprised me that I just really didn't think they would do, but I would agree with it was Jim Caldwell in Detroit mm-hmm. because I thought they would keep him. They still were above five hundred. Matt Stafford had his best career year statistically, statistically as a pro. You know, there's not a lot wrong with that team. They just lose games they shouldn't, and they have. They should have been in the playoffs. Like they had the easiest road to get in the last four weeks of this by season, far, and they couldn't do it, and they didn't do it. So I actually I, I like that they ended up moving on from Caldwell, but I I didn't think they'd actually do it. That one actually really surprised me, and now it seems like Matt Patricia is going to be the guy there, which yeah. I think might actually work out. But then again, I'm always hesitant about any former Belichick coordinator as a head coach. So who knows? Yeah, and I think. Hopefully Detroit, for their sake, had someone in mind that they were pretty confident they could land because Caldwell is he's kind of like the the meme. He's kind of the average of, of coaches. He, I mean, he, if you look at the sideline, he's he's neither up nor down. He's, that's kind of how he is as a coach. I think he's he's okay. He's fine. I don't think he's a, a good coach, but you know, but I don't think he's that terrible either. So, um, yeah, hopefully if you know if Detroit has someone in mind, that'd be. Uh, well, of course, uh, Pat Shermer is on that list, too. They've already asked to talk to him about the head coaching vacancy. So, yeah, I mean, that one is a little surprising. But, of course, um, I I have seen the Vikings uh, fire good old Mike Tice after a 9-7 and season, too. So it's not, not unheard of. And, again, if they have someone in place, I, I agree with the move as well. Are you worried at all the Bears are going to hire a good offensive guy and Mitch Trubisky is going to become a franchise superstar oh. for the next 15 years? Oh, that's another one that uh, they've already asked per, for permission to talk to Shermer as well. And if Shermer, uh, yeah. boy, I, I, I saw some flashes. I don't like Trubisky, that. But... I don't like him for Shermer. I don't, I don't think that's the right guy to target for somebody like Trubisky. And I like Shermer, but yeah. it doesn't seem like those two styles mesh all that well. Yeah, and it, and they just have to get get pass catchers. I mean, they, they need two or three at least right now because they, they're not going to do anything with Dontrell Inman and all these other illustrious names that they have uh, trying to catch passes. Forget the Bears. Cam Newton's going into the playoffs with zero pass this, catchers. This is also like, true. Have you looked at his depth chart right He's now? He's got like, Greg the Olson Panthers at least. Depth chart. He's got Greg. I mean, sure. Greg Olson <laughs> is in another world right now. I don't know if you watched any of that game last week. Greg Olson was furious for the entire 60 minutes. Yep. The, the camera kept panning to him. He was angry about everything. And that guy, man, I mean, it's better than Ed Dixon, who is just awful. But, you know, Jonathan Stewart's not healthy. This is I'm going to go through the receivers left just to, to let us get into this, because I think this oh, is very I, important. Brent, Brenton it's Burson, so that's bad. my guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Brenton Burson. That's not a real person. Nose <laughs> Frazier? Kalen Clay? Yep. Like, who are these people? They, they're they down to Devin Funches and Russell Shepard. Yeah, oh, I was watching... Oh I, was actually, I was actually watching um, Good Morning Football the other day, and Peter, Peter Schrager did a whole piece on that, of, like, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah, and he's... The Moe's guy was great, but he's like, I found out where he went to school, 
And that's all I know. That's all I can find about this guy. No one knows what he has in. So, yeah, Cam is uh, he's doing a lot. He finally got a little guy, Bird, and then he gets knocked out for the year. It's just like whenever he even finds someone who might actually be okay, they get knocked out for the year. So let's let's calm down on the Cam takes. That's all I'm saying. Like Cam actually does have a reason to actually gripe about what he has to deal with right now because there's a reason this offense is this bad. He started off 0 for 9 in that Falcons game on Sunday. Absolutely. It's it's so bad. You know, and Cam has to play. That's the Panthers are dangerous in a one game situation, but to see if I just can't see the Panthers putting together three games in a row worthy of of playoff victories. I think they can beat anyone. I think that, you know, the Vikings game where they got a lot of good bounces, but they had just enough good plays. They had Stewart with the big run and, uh, of course, Cam with the game ceiling run at the end. They can, they have the ability to do it and they have that, that pass rush, especially with, they, they can get after just about anyone, but I just don't see them stringing together three wins. And then, of course, I, um, I, if actually, if I still have the Vikings as my, favorite in the NFC, but I, I think the Saints are probably the, the biggest threat to the Vikings, just to, with how they would match up with, with them in the playoffs. I touched on this with the Saints. I think they have too much of a tough road way to get there. I, I think if the seeding was different and they were higher up, if they were a two seed, I would agree with you, but I just I don't like them having to go to Philly, then to potentially Minnesota or Los Angeles. Like I just I think that's asking a lot for this team on the road. I, I don't know. I have my doubts. I still yeah. like this well, team, I mean, but it's, it's going to be tough. Yeah, that it, it just it remains to be seen exactly how tough that game in Philly will be. And again, that defense is very good still. I just they they could maybe just cruise in that one, and then of course a dome team at another dome. If it's at Minnesota, that's not a, it's true. And you know, and everyone like yes, the Vikings took care of them pretty, pretty easily in Week One, but that was such a different team. They had Adrian Peterson, uh, Kamara played maybe eight or nine snaps, I think that game. So yeah. It, uh, I, I, that's actually been the most popular NFC Championship matchup I've been hearing from you know other podcasts and articles. That'd be fun. Yeah, it would. It would be, and it would be some sweet revenge too. Maybe, hopefully, for for 2009 <laughs> to get them back at our at our All building. Right. But <laughs> first things first, Vikings got to win the first one. Hey, you are going to win the first one. You like you? I think I like you against the bye this week. I do. I I like the Vikings getting <laughs> okay past the bye. with the divisional round. They're in good okay. shape. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Given the Vikings' Hard playoff history, they they could be the first team to lose 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 the bye somehow. <laughs> I mean, you do have your pinned tweet of nice things and Vikings fans, so you never know. They could be the first one to lose the bye. You can never like that's the dangerous thing about the bye. You <laughs> teams forget it and take it for granted, so it sneaks up on you. So this is something I thought would be fun, like a heat index of like, there's four playoff games this weekend, and I kind of wanted to rank of like lowest heat, which like the, I don't know why I said lowest heat instead of just coldest, but <laughs> the coldest, like least likely for me to be interested, like what is the least interesting game to like the most interesting? And I think we're going to be on the same page. And for me, the game that just, it's really hard for me to buy in is it's going to be close. I think both AFC games have potential to be blowouts. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, I read this really good piece on 538 today by, I think it was Ty Schalter, um, the really good Lions writer. Yep. Who I follow him. Just, it, did you see the piece today he put out on the Bills and how they're actually like this 2017 team? So they had a Pythagorean uh, projected record of like six wins this year. Yep. And they're just one of the luckiest teams ever. 
and like that 2004 Bills team had a Pythagorean expected record of 12 wins, and they missed the playoffs that year. <laughs> yeah, they went nine and seven. They had the same record, and it was just that was a Nate Clements and Takeo Spikes team, and they were awesome. And I, I'm sure Lee Evans was on that team, and you know, it, it, uh, Willis McGahey. I'm just naming. Oh, man, that was a fun, it was a fun team. I guess that was Bledsoe too. But yeah, it that was a really good team. And this team is nothing like that. And this is a team that literally tried to get out of the playoff picture by starting Nate Peterman one week. Oh, and I, I think we're trying to talk to ourselves into them. I, I love Tyrod and I'm glad the Buffalo bills ended their streak and got into the playoffs and bills fans shouldn't care that this is a actually kind of a bad team that got in, but I, I don't think this game is going to be close. And I think this is the least appealing game to me. I had, it's going to be really hard for me to pay close attention to bills. Jags. I, I just the the Blake Bortles shot in front. I might be a little bit. I I might watch for that. Just the the outside chance that Bortles just absolutely craps the bed and somehow the Bills win because of it would just be absolutely hilarious. But yeah, I mean they. I mean I don't have their schedule up, but they've lost games by double digits several times this year. <laughs> and I think it's four. Yeah, I believe it's four or five. Yeah, and I mean yeah, they've been just flat out blown out, including that Peterman game. It's like. But hey, they made it, and there's not going to be any fan base that will, uh, will be more fired up than the Bills for the first time since I graduated high school, which was, believe me, a long time ago. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's it's cool to see the Bills back, but yeah, they just they aren't good, and especially and I think uh, the next game we'll probably get to will involve another AFC team that isn't good on the road. You know, it'd be a lot of fun. Chargers at Jaguars. Oh man, that's, that that's would be fun. I was rooting for, but. Of course, the Chargers. The Chargers did it to themselves, though. <laughs> That's the other thing is they got off to such a bad start to start this year. Like they they did that to themselves. Well, when you go, through, they dug this hole. Yeah, you go through four yeah. kickers in a year. Maybe it's just not your season. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but it's so frustrating because that team just. I I will go on record. I have patted myself on the back way too much about uh, my Vikings and Saints picks, but I was completely wrong about the Chargers this year. I was super high on them. They were actually my AFC Super Bowl pick. And they are not even in the playoffs. So I, I'm very, very upset at Anthony Lynn and Philip Rivers and Melvin Gordon and everybody else for letting me down. Because that team, if you just look at that roster, it's just so much talent. How good Ingram and Bosa were on the edge. And Casey Hayward is just an unbelievable corner. Just so much talent. And Keenan Allen. Go nine and career and, year. Oh, Keenan Allen, yeah. It's, it's, it is. It's a, it's a travesty they aren't in and the, and the Titans and the Bills are. Oh but God. the ch- yeah. Chargers. Speaking of the yep. Titans, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's my second uh-huh. least interesting game of the week. I have that slightly more interesting just because the Chiefs. So I they've had three seasons, and I forgot where I read this first, but it it I hadn't really thought about it. Is the Chiefs got off that amazing start? They beat the crap out of the Patriots and Kareem Hunt's coming out party in Week One. So they start out like five and zero, then they went one and six, and people were wondering if it was Pat Mahomes' time, and they were just going to punt the rest of the year. And then they went 4-0 to finish the season. Mm-hmm. So they're in cycle three right now where they have not lost in a while. And they're playing really good on both sides of the ball. They don't really have a great pass rush. Justin Houston's healthy all year, which is nice because when he's not on the field for that defense, it's terrible. Marcus Peters is really, really important to this team. So they really need him to have a big game here. But I don't know. I, it's hard for me to see them even blowing this. Like, I think the Chiefs and the Jags take care of business, but I'm at least slightly more interested to see how the Titans match up against the Chiefs defense because I think there is a path to the Titans winning, and I don't really see a path to the Bills winning. Yeah, I mean, the Titans, if they could 
ground and pound a little bit, take advantage of the Chiefs. As good as Marcus Peters is, uh, you know, he can force two, three turnovers a game, but he can also get beat. And I think their their defense has been fairly inconsistent. I mean, of course, the Chiefs. I mean, I kept on comparing them up until a couple of weeks ago. They were they were almost a carbon copy of the 2016 Vikings, all the way up to the five and zero start. Yeah. And, you know, it looked like that's exactly what they were headed for. But it seems like they righted the ship. Um, I think they just kind of got back to a little more of what got them to five and zero in the first place is getting those little more explosive plays on offense, getting Alex Smith going a little bit. I just think top to bottom, the Chiefs are better. I, and the Titans, they are so lucky to be nine and seven. I think they had, they were, um, they were beneficiaries of a really pretty easy schedule. And they, they do have some nice pieces. I just don't think Mariota's quite there yet. And I, I like the run, running attack, but um, it, it, have, it's either one of the. Is Murray Yeah, playing that's this the week? one thing. It's like, and if Murray isn't playing, is, is that better? For them, I just, I, just, I no, because I, I like Henry, but I think they, especially I think in a having a game, I think you'd like to have both. Yeah, yeah, I think you would like to have both, but I, I personally would like to th- see a little more Henry than Murray. But yeah, I just don't think the Titans have enough firepower, and the, the defense has kind of been meh. So, and again, that's the only thing I could see is the the Chiefs' uh, playoff history tripping them up. Because when's the last time they won a home playoff game? It's been ages and ages so um that's they're, yeah. they're uh they have a pretty tortured recent history in the playoffs but, but i i think that well they thankfully should, they're not playing the steelers this week exactly. so that that should be nice. yeah i think i think they should yeah. both of those teams should cruise of course you never know in the wild card it's not like the, the the jaguars or the chiefs are completely infallible they've had some real stinkers of games so if that comes up with a bad time you could could see the upset but yeah i, I don't really even What's it? The spread's like nine and a half on both games, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I'd, I'd have a. I mean, that's that's a that's a big number for both teams, but I, you know, I'd probably have to pick pretty close to the uh, the pick the favorite. So you have Chiefs and Jags here, right? For sure, so you have them both. Yeah. Winning. Okay. Yeah, so do I. I really want it to go a little bold, but I just I can't. I think these are going to be some really boring, just Chiefs and Jaguars. Just slowly, it's not going to be like super entertaining because i think both of them are going to run the ball a lot and you might see a tyree kill play that just catches your eye and kareem hunt's probably going to get a lot of carries and you know leonard fournette's going to be heavily involved for the jags Mm -hmm. and it's just i feel like it's just going to be a low scoring grounded pound and just burying these two bad teams that snuck into the wild card spots but hey you know what they have great fans shout out to the titans and the bills for getting the playoffs you know good for the fan base but i i will say i want the bills to win I will go ahead and say that. I want Tyrod Taylor because of all the crap that he's had to deal with with that organization over the last couple of years. I hope he gets a playoff win. That's what I hope. And, you know, then he can finally go to Denver this offseason and fulfill his de- destiny as a Super Bowl quarterback with the Broncos. So that, uh, that that's me fantasy booking the AFC over the next year. Very good. Oh, well, and, of course, just if the Bills win, the the videos of their fans celebrating alone will be worth it. That'll be the, the Bills. The oh, Bills yeah, never sure. disappoint. <laughs> what are they going to do though? Because Jacksonville's a very, very different climate than uh, Buffalo. So the ones that travel down, are we going to see some still Buffalo fans doing some crazy stuff just at the beach? Can we get some bash of the beast situation? Or I wonder if they're going to step their game up yeah. just being in a warm weather situation. I mean, you can jump off of stuff onto the tables in any climate. I think that 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 kind of partying sure. always travels. I it just think. looks more painful when it's just below freezing in the snow and everything. True, goes. everything looks more 
just unfortunate. But uh, all right, the second most inner like I, I guess the second most appealing matchup is the Saints Panthers. I could see this being the most compelling for some people, but I like we talked about it earlier. I just it's hard for me to see the Panthers being able to score enough to win this game. And I don't think that's an indictment on Cam. I don't think that's an indictment on Shula as an offensive mind. Like, he's okay. But they're going to need a big game from somebody. Like, Funchess is going to have to go off, and he's Marshawn Lattimore is going to have to get burned a lot. And, I mean, this, the Saints secondary is susceptible. Like, Lattimore is a little bit banked up. They lost Kenny Vaccaro for the year. So there are some areas of weakness. Like, Manti Teo is having a career year, but their linebacking core is still not great. But then you have Cameron Jordan, who's going to get after Cam a lot. Like, the Panthers' offensive line is not good. So, I don't know. I just But then you look at the Panthers' defense, and they have one of the best front sevens in the NFL. Like, I, I think Kamara and Ingram are not going to have huge days. So, I think this will actually probably be a close game. But if they – I don't know. Can you see the Panthers scoring 28-31 to on the Saints team? I just – I don't know if they can do that. And if they can't, then I just can't – picture them winning this game so i have the saints but i think if the panthers had one or two more weapons that it would be a different story but can we also just say the panthers must uh, panthers fans especially must be just livid over kamara being a third round pick <laughs> and christian mccaffrey being a top 10 pick that's got to be super frustrating yeah for sure and of course hindsight's 2020 it just seemed like such a stacked running back class that taking any running back that high might have been a little, you know, maybe the the Panthers could have used a you know a wide receiver or an offensive lineman instead at that number twelve spot. But it's not like McCaffrey's been bad. He still had over a thousand yards from scrimmage. It's just that Kamara has been otherworldly good, especially on a per touch average this year. But he also has, you know, would you rather have Jonathan Stewart as your other running back, or would you rather have what Kamara has? You know, that's that plays a big. You know, Ingram, I think is he's a Pro Bowler too, right? I think both. I, I think both so, running yeah. backs made it to the Pro Bowl. So, um, yeah, yeah, just having that one-two combination. I think that you've seen that on a a lesser scale, and for the Vikings too. If if it was just Latavius Murray or if it was just Jarek McKinnon, that wouldn't be anything to write home about. But having the combination of the two and having the t- this different skill set, I think helps a lot. And I just think that Jonathan Stewart, he's been banged up, and he's you know besides the couple bursts he's had this season, he just might kind of be washed up, and. It feels to me like that the Panthers' offense is almost gearing their offense a little too much for McCaffrey. At least they did at the beginning of the season. It's like they were just like, here's a ball, here's a short pass, here it is again, here's a handoff. And they're just kind of force-feeding the ball. It seems like they're getting a little more nuanced with it, but that might just be another um, result of having basically you know, no, no real dependable wide receivers either. Yeah. But I, I guess, I mean, I guess... I'd, um, I'm going with the Saints too. They've they've handled them the Panthers in both meetings. Of course, beating them three times is always tougher. I think this game would be closer than the first two matchups. But I just yeah. think the Saints have too much firepower, and they can shut down enough of what the Panthers want to do on offense. With yeah, I mean Cam Jordan against uh, uh, Matt Khalil. That's that's a scary matchup, and it has it's proven to be that way in both of their uh, meetings so far this year. So I'd have to take the Saints to to do the three game sweep. I agree, but I think it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Um, the most inter- like I, uh, this is not biased for me to say the the hottest matchup this weekend I think is gonna be super interesting. The Falcons at Los Angeles Saturday night. 
I just I'm interested to see how Aaron Donald does against this offensive line because he's going to be matched up with uh, Alex Mack in situations who's still awesome, like one of the best free agent signings maybe in Falcons history. And then just seeing what Freeman looks like out of like, because he's just been different. I mean, Tevin Coleman, having him around has been huge because he's still awesome mm-hmm. and he's helped them a lot. But don't like the tight end situation. I think they could have used one more. Uh, heading into the playoffs, I I don't feel great about that. I don't feel great about Julio. He got banged up a little bit uh, last week, and we'll see what happens in this game. But Mohamed Sanu, man, I was really wrong about him because I remember that signing happened just being kind of uh, on that idea of him just thinking he was just a f- guy who really benefited playing next to AJ Green and just it seemed like an overpay. And, you know, Mohamed Sanu has been awesome, and he – he had a touchdown called back, and, I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, it looks like. He's, like, at least the 21st best quarterback at this point. I don't think he's thrown an incompletion yet, which is still a thing. No, I, I, would take him, I, just, I would take him over several starting quarterbacks. Yeah, he's, he has a – I think he's, what, six for six or something in his career now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he can do it all. But I just – I think the Falcons are going to have to have an offensive explosion to win this game. And I, I don't think Sean, Sean McVay is going to pull out all the stops. And I think people might be just getting a little ahead of themselves, worried about, oh, he's too young and this team is inexperienced come playoff time. And, you know, Wade Phillips has been there. Wade Phillips has been a defensive coordinator on a championship team. Like, that's part of the reason that you have someone like Wade Phillips to help someone like Sean McVay in the postseason. I think they're, that defense is not going to be in a situation where they're going to get really tested because this offense just we'll see those first couple red zone trips what that looks like we'll see but i will say i'm a little worried about the rams kicker situation because greg zerline was really good for them yep. this year and he's out and they their kicking situation is not great so come playoff time you don't want to go in where that was such a stable stable position for you, them do, you don't you don't say chase what kickers kickers yeah in the i mean playoffs? i know, I know you're very familiar with this <laughs> <laughs> but it, you, but I, I mean, hey, man, the Blair Walsh thing. You, you got your comeuppance there. Oh, because, that was so great. I mean, <laughs> you got it. Like, uh, hey, it all comes back yep. around at some point. But yeah, I just, I that could be the most interesting aspect of this game. Is like, what if they get in there early and they just miss a couple of kicks? They miss an extra point here and there, and this is like a seventeen to sixteen game just because the Rams kicking situation is just a dumpster fire. It's gonna. That's an interesting thing to watch, but I uh, I think Goff will have time. I think having Andrew Whitworth there is a huge thing for them, and I think Gurley has a big day, and especially like I don't know, man. Gurley's been awesome, and I just don't know how you stop him. And they're gonna have to get a lot of pressure on Goff. That's gotta be the game plan. Vic Beasley's gonna have to hit him a lot. Taxon's hit him a lot, but Grady Jarrett's been awesome, and he's someone to watch in this game and see how he does because he's not as good as Aaron Donald. But he is a very, very good interior presence, and he's been awesome this year. So we'll see. But I I have my doubts, and I have the Rams, but I think this is going to be a very interesting, entertaining game. Yeah, I think this is the – I mean, this is probably pretty boring podcasting to have to agree on all four games, but I think that's, it's a pretty logical as well. I just – I love the just the concept of the two, like I already touched on, just the, the new blood in the NFC compared to the, the defending NFC champs. It's going to be really interesting. I think if I'm the Falcons, you go all out to stop uh, Gurley and make Goff beat you. And that's definitely possible. Goff 
definitely can. He's shown he can uh, put up some pretty big numbers, especially with some of the plays that McVay can put in. But if you can contain Gurley and make Goff beat you, I think the Vikings gave a pretty decent blueprint. Obviously, the Vikings defense is a, a, a pretty big step up from what Atlanta has. But if you can force Goff and do a couple mistakes, pressure him, I think that could be pretty interesting. And the Falcons, like like we've said, they've kind of taken that step back and kind of regressed towards the mean. But they they have shown, you know, in the recent past, even in flashes this time at, at times this season, that they they are capable of still being that old high octane offense, and they can put up some points. And maybe if a bouncer two goes their way, I, I guess out of the four games, I guess this is probably the one I could see an upset the most. I just think that. I think the Panthers might be a better team overall, but I just think that matchup against the Saints is, is tougher. The Rams are obviously a very good team, and like you picked them to go to the Super Bowl, and like I, I can't get too upset at that pick because they are such a talented team. It's just the inexperience. Maybe the, the Falcons can catch them on the right day. And it's not like that L.A., you know, the Coliseum is going to be picturesque like we talked about, but it's not like there's going to be, you know, thousands and thousands of diehard Rams fans there. There, there haven't been all season, so I don't think the, the home field advantage is going to be uh, too extreme for them. So if the Falcons can come in, maybe get an early lead, who knows what could happen. But, I mean, gun to my head, I think I'd still have to pick all four favorites, all four home teams this, this week, but I think this definitely has the potential to be the closest and most exciting game. The one area, you brought it up, the disagreements. We've agreed on everything. I think it would be more surprising if the Falcons won than the Panthers won for me. Okay. I think the Panthers have a better shot of winning. Yeah, and that's... that's, that's so there we go. Up, we yeah. disagreed a little there bit. We there go. we go. Oh, hey, I, hey. Added some, I added some level <laughs> we're, we're basically like Skip and there. Shannon now, right? <laughs> basically. I Wait, who is who in this? I don't know how I feel about this yet. Who is who? <laughs> yep. Yep, I tell you what. Yep, no, either. You made me skip. I knew you were gonna make me skip. I knew that's where that was going, and I didn't like it. So no, I will not allow that. Okay, no. (laughs) But you can still be Shannon. Just we'll forget about Skip. Yeah, man, I I'm excited, but I think we'll probably if we talk about the picks next week, I think there will be a lot more disagreements in the divisional round because I think the divisional round is going to be very, very interesting. Like just thinking about like, if we get Pat's chiefs Mm -hmm. knowing the history there, we get Steelers, uh, Jaguars, David game. No, like David Garrard might be on the sidelines to uh, (laughs) get the Jags hyped up, or maybe they'll let him play instead of Blake Bortles. Maybe they can see what he's doing. Cause I don't know what David Garrard's up to these days. And then you have, I mean, if you get Rams, Vikings, and then, I mean, obviously we're going to disagree if the Rams are my Super Bowl pick, and then Eagles, like Saints, or Panthers. Like, we saw what that Eagles-Panthers game was on Thursday night a couple weeks ago, or I guess that was a month or two ago, but that was fun, even with Wentz. Is this a hot take, by the way? If the Eagles lose by, like, 20 to 30 points by either the Panthers or the Saints in the second round, does that, like, clear up that Carson Wentz is the MVP this year? Why do we bounce off that, that he just missed too many games? Yeah, that's, that's the I, bummer. I think if I had to pick, I think I'd still pick Carson Wentz as my MVP. Yeah, there's just no surefire one. I guess you kind of give it to Brady by default just because he was there all year and put up good enough numbers on a 13-3 and three team. But, yeah, just to see the drop-off that that Philly offense has had, just, it, just what Wentz provides that team, I think if you're going by the letter of most valuable, I, I would probably have to put him in. I don't think the Eagles... And that's are, what we're going to remember this season, right? right. Like it, When we think about the 2017 season, we're going to be like, remember that year that Carson Wentz just turned into a superstar? That's what we're going to remember. We're not going to remember Brady was awesome because we know Brady's awesome every yep. year. 
I mean, Todd Gurley is close in that regard where it's like Todd Gurley came back to life. He shook off the Jeff Fisher uh, stickiness, ickiness. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, that's what I remember is like, man, Carson Wentz just absurd what he was able to do on a week to week basis. And that's, I don't know. I think that's why I would still give uh, Deshaun Watson rookie of the year because just how different that team is with him and without him. I think we overthink this stuff. It's like, why do we come up with these arbitrary rules? Oh, they got injured, so they can't win it. No, I'd still give it to him because I saw enough where it's like, oh, yeah, that guy is extremely valuable to his team, and his team falls off a cliff when he's not there. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's always the argument. And then, of course, then you get Packers fans saying, well, the Packers would have won the Super Bowl with Rodgers, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I like your Packer fan yes. voice. Where, can I make this a recurring <laughs> thing on the podcast? <laughs> well, there's already a... a um, there's a local uh, radio station does a, a, a fan bit where a, a fake Packers fan calls in and he does a really super duper Wisconsin voice. So I don't want to step on that. <laughs> okay. All right, man. This is fun. I'm glad we we're able to do this tonight. It's good to have you back on the Absolutely. Pod. It's always fun talking about playoff football and especially when both of our teams are in it, like you predicted. Hey. I I do what I can. I do what I can. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. We can find you on Twitter at Eric underscore J underscore Thompson. We can read you at the Daily Norseman and all of your other radio spots, man. You're you're racking them up. You're becoming too big for this show. I think. It's gonna be, it's gonna happen the next year. That's my prediction for 2018. I've already predicted the Vikings and the Falcons, and now I will go ahead and predict that Eric Thompson turns into too big of a Twin City superstar to be able to keep appearing in this podcast. Oh, I, I, I'm unfailingly loyal to you, Chase. Don't worry about it. I'll always uh, be on when you ask. All right. Sounds good. All right, Eric, thank you so much, and enjoy your bye week. Uh, but don't take it too lightly. Uh, you never know. Of course. All right. Thanks for having me on, Chase. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Andy Lou, he returned to the podcast and, you know, he's moved on to bigger and better things. He's like hosting Light Years on Leverage the Chat. He's working at Warriors World now. A lot's changed since we last talked, man. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, if I, if I say stuff loud enough and I say enough crap, though, you know, some people will like it. So, and it doesn't hurt that when you're covering the best team ever that you get a little coverage. So I just ride along with the team, really. I don't really. I'm just. I'm just kind of the guy that's just, you know, holding on to the train and it's dragging me. So as far as far as Katie and Steph and Kerr want to take this, uh, I'm down. All right. So you're basically like for anyone who doesn't follow you on Twitter, they definitely should, and they can find you at Andy K H Lou. You're just. It's always on for you. The warrior snark. It's just there, man. You. It's in. It's who you are now. I think it's become just part of your DNA. It's. It's pretty interesting. Like you. You've embraced the hate in a really fun way. But whenever I get on Twitter and I just see you or Sam going at somebody, it's. Uh. It's great. Like you and Justin. I think it might just be you and Justin need to have like a Twitter face off or like a podcast face off because <laughs> the two of you going at it with just his calf stuff and your warrior stuff. I think. The podcast world, I don't think, would be ready for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, you know the the thing with it is, there are people that take it seriously, um, and I think there are things on Twitter that you should take seriously. Um, but with sports, especially with you know the Warriors and the Cavs, and and I talk about the Thunder a lot, and 
things like that. There's really, I mean, the, you can be angry, but there's really nothing that, I mean, it's fun. Like even for Justin, even for, if I were a cast fan, like this would be fun, right? You would know that you kind of can't win, but you know, what's, what's the point if you're going to always be angry or sad about something, if you know, you're not going to win. You know what I mean? Though I'm saying this as a person that is rooting for a team that even when they lost two weeks later, two weeks later, they signed one of the greatest players ever. Um, so I guess I'm actually, I, I probably can't speak to it, but really it's fun because um, it, it, Twitter's for fun. You know, when, when I first started, it was for, I started doing it because I wanted to read and learn more stuff, but after a while, it's kind of inundated now. I mean, you're on there all day and it's just like, you know, it, now, now it's the jokes and, and, uh, and how far you can take it without getting in trouble. So I, I'm sure I'll step across the line one day, but we're keeping it, uh, we're keeping it uh, in line for now. <laughs> have you not stepped across any lines yet i i find that hard to believe i've had um in terms of i've had people get mad at me i don't really count mm-hmm. that i count um stepping over the line in terms of like people that actually tell me to delete a tweet or something like mm. that the only times that have happened is i've heard that nba people have contacted uh uh <laughs> like warriors world to tell them like hey you've got to you know calm this guy down he's a quote-unquote loose cannon so I've <laughs> I've had that being told about me, uh, and on that day I tend I tend to turn it down. So it's not like I'm you know no holds barred over here. So when that happened, I did tone it down a little bit. But you know it, it's it's like if you get someone to follow you, that's like relatively famous. Like I had David Griffin follow me uh, uh, like last week, and so I'm like, what oh, a humble man. brag. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, I'm not gonna hate because David Thorpe followed me this week, so you know <laughs> it's uh, it's a good week for both of us. <laughs> so okay so take when that happens right and you're like okay this guy's you know pretty popular you know pretty famous everybody knows who, who they are he's gonna read my tweets and it's like oh man i'm pretty crazy he's gonna unfollow me so that happens mm-hmm. to me and then so on that day for well, nowadays it's a couple hours it's like i turn it off i'm chilling but then after a while you keep tweeting and you're like you know what screw it if they're not gonna like it they're not gonna like it and if they do like it they like it like you know most of the time i've also found out that most people that do are relatively popular in the blogging or writing industry. Um, mm. They actually do want to say the things that I want to say, maybe not the way I say it, but they'll want to think of those things. They want to say it maybe about Westbrook, for example, or LeBron. <laughs> um, they'll want to say that they agree, but they don't say it for fear of, uh, let's say it's not substantiated, right? Cause you're a writer. You've got to have some hard evidence or something. I, I don't give a crap. I'm not a real writer. Um, so they're like, Hey, we feel that way, but we're just not able to say it the same way you are. So they kind of live vicariously or they just enjoy the way I'm able to say it. I think I've got a certain segment of people that are like that. And then of course they're going to be people that have blocked all the time. I'm not going to say like I'm universally loved, <laughs> but you also just can't win with the Westbrook stuff and like those kind of takes. It's just, you're never going to please everybody and you're just going to piss off a certain subset of basketball Twitter, no matter what. Oh, and yeah. I, dude, I just, I never tweet. Like my entire Twitter and Facebook feed is just self-promotion. That's, that was like one of my things a couple years ago. Like in my Twitter bio, I have this place is poison. I, I hate it. It's so bad. I get on and I'm just, I just don't know how people live on there for just hours and just everything that's just, I, I'm a lurker, I guess now I read everything. <laughs> But I never comment on anything. Like I, I've deleted so many tweets that I had like sent out five seconds earlier. I'm like, no, don't want to say that. I'm not sending that out in the world. I don't even like sending out tweets at all, really, that have nothing to do with the podcast or anything I'm writing. Like I just, 
I immediately regret it. It's it's annoying, but I I'm there right now. I don't think I'll ever be like a uh, proactive tweeter anymore. I think those days are gone. Uh, not to like, I'm not trying to like sour you on just going at it and uh, leading the Twitter the Twitter sphere, but man, I I don't think I'm gonna be able to join you on this crusade. <laughs> it's it's entertaining. It's a little addicting, which is not great, but um. Um, I, what I, what I usually do is, is in terms of tweets that I can or can't send, I'll send it in a group chat and if nobody responds, that's a green light. Um, the only thing that I won't, won't tweet out is if anybody will tell me no. So no response, green light. If they like it, (laughs) pretty much anything is green light outside of somebody telling me not to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's just, it's, it's a distraction, I guess. Um, which is always a little interesting because on Twitter, things can get political and then it becomes a different distraction that you might not want. Um, and for me, most of the time I try to keep it separate just in terms of what I intake, not what I tweet out, but what I intake. So sometimes Twitter, um, it veers into both lanes and sometimes that gets a little distracting, especially, well, especially nowadays. So, um, but I try to keep it as fun as possible, man, no matter what. And a lot of times it's, you know, it's, it's more slander of people that aren't warriors. Because uh, your boy is the biggest Warriors homer, uh, and I and 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 what's funny is I didn't start out like that. Um, it's just kind of like you said, I doubled down on it, and it just became fun. You know, kind of if you were to sh- put a gun to my head and ask me, for example, who I thought should have won MVP last year, I'd probably say you know Russell, Russell Westbrook was probably one A. Like if you had to put a gun to my head and, and tell me who was actually the most valuable, yeah, I could I could roll with that, but. I could but I, I yeah. agree. I, it's fine. I, I was not, not going to engage. It's, it's fine. Yeah. But I think it was just MVP is such a stupid conversation in general. I If I was the sports czar, I would eliminate all awards. Like it, we would not have these dumb conversations about stuff like Westbrook and everything else because we all know that he's not the most valuable player in the NBA. Like no GM's taking him first overall. And I like Westbrook, but no one last year, if they were like had to pick one guy first out of the entire NBA roster they're picking westbrook first it's not happening like kd was my mvp before he got injured and this kind of leads me into something i want to ask you it's like should durant get mvp love this year especially with steph missing some time and the war like are we taking kevin durant and steph curry for granted now like i'm nervous about asking you this question just <laughs> I, I, with what kind of response i'm going to get from you but it's something i've thought about is like is kd not getting enough credit this year because now the conversation has kind of shifted to lebron now being the favorite with harden missing he's probably gonna miss like a month with this hamstring thing and lebron's getting all the credit for keeping the Cavs afloat but like kd is still playing really really great basketball and is the best player on the best team in the nba so it's like he i feel like he deserves at least one mvp for that feat and then i don't know when that's going to come for him um i agree i think he deserves more mvp votes but i also think that he's not deserve he, he deserves more mvp like people talking about it like how they talk about Giannis at the beginning of the season lebron now james harden right I also think that he he doesn't deserve um, the actual MVP votes themselves. I don't know if that makes sense, but he deserves to be more in the conversation. Um, it's just that, and it goes both ways. It's that I don't think either Steph Curry or Durant necessarily deserves to win MVP like this year or maybe maybe two or three years from now when the team maybe 
is too old. Um, as in the role players are gone, right? Maybe David West, Sean Livingston, and Godala, those guys are washed up and maybe Clay leaves, so you're stuck with just Draymond Green, right? Then I would say, like, yeah, those guys are actual deserving of MVP votes. They're always going to be in the MVP discussion, and I do agree, like, hey, KD should be there, but it's like, it's just hard to be like, hey, KD's out, Warriors are going to win 10 in a row anyway, and then Steph is out, and the Warriors are going to win 10 in a row anyway. It's hard to actually say this guy is deserving of the MVP award or should have votes in 2017 and 2018 because, well, I mean, it doesn't matter if they sit out. And the Warriors offenses, and they're unwatchable when KD is out, but it's like, I mean, sorry, when Steph is out, but at the same time, it's like, they're still, they are the best defense in the league and they're still winning games. So it's like, they're still one of the best teams in the league with Steph out. So having Steph there vaults them to another level, but it's like, uh, I don't know how you can swing that, right? Even, even I am not able to swing that. Maybe like a, like a lifetime of franchise MVP award. Yeah. Then I give that to Steph because he's the guy that started all of it. He's the guy that allows this to happen. But for like this season, no, I would look for someone like LeBron James, I think is the clear front runner. And I mean, probably deserving of the award by the time this is over. Um, and I don't think it'll be that close, honestly. Um, I think I think it'd be LeBron in a landslide when the season's over. Interesting. I think a lot of it just depends on how long Harden's out. The longer Harden's out, the worse his. I I, I feel bad for him because unless they lose, get it this year. When does he get it? Like this seems like the kind of year where everything was going right, where they had the chance to get the one seed in the West, and obviously MVP voting is before the playoffs. So whatever happens come playoff time wouldn't affect his MVP voting. Like this was the time, and I think if this hamstring thing lingers, I think he's in real danger here. So it kind of sucks because I do think Harden at some point is, needs to win it. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think uh, it, it, it's funny because. He, uh, the Houston as a team has celebrated championships, and I tweeted about this. They've been celebrating for the past two months about how great they are, how great the offense is. And for all of that to happen, they're still like two games behind the Warriors and only a game and a half ahead of the Spurs. And now Harden is out, I think maybe a month. He's got two weeks off before he even gets reevaluated. So we're talking about two weeks at minimum. And then you've got Chris Paul who can't stay healthy. Um, I think he's breaking down. He's almost he's almost done in terms of having a seventy you know game season. And then you're talking about what do they have beyond that, right? Because they don't really have a system that is sustainable outside of having those guys there. So I don't know. Like they might be a three seed. Like by the time this thing is over a month from now, and if disaster falls and God forbid Chris Paul gets hurt, they're falling out to four or five. Like they might even lose home court advantage. So I love that I, you're pretending that you actually have concern. This is yeah. this is nice of you. God forbid <laughs> that the Rockets fall out of one or two. <laughs> Unbelievable. Can you at least pretend, like not pretend to actually care about the Rockets falling out of the, the top seed in the West? Can, oh, can you do that God. for me, please? They deserve it. They deserve it. For all the talk that they do, God, they're the worst. Just for just for a team that really hasn't accomplished anything, like that, that article where P.J. Tucker was saying, how are they going to guard us? Like, we're unguardable. And then Clint Capella, like, hey, if he's good enough, we're going to be, you know, right there with the Warriors. Like, come on, man. Come on. Oh, God. God, insufferable. And, and what's crazy is I, I like that team. I enjoy – I watch so many of their games. Like, they're awesome. I think that's the team that, that has a chance, too, like to be in the Western Conference Finals and is like the second or third team in the league. And it's just yeah. – anyway.
Can we just stop? Like I, I was annoyed about the Rockets being a real threat to the the Warriors in the in the seven game series a couple of months ago, and a, a lot of it's like I understand the argument of like the variance thing, where if they they shoot lights out three nights and Harden has a ridiculous game one night, they win a series. But like, does anyone would anyone actually put a lot of money on the Rockets beating the Warriors at full strength in a seven game series? I just think we we don't want to just admit that if the Warriors are healthy, they are going to win the NBA Finals this year. Why do we have to overreact to the Rockets? Why do you have to overreact to the Cavs getting Isaiah Thomas back? Why do we have to overreact to Kyrie playing really well in Boston? Like, I I get, we can enjoy all of these things and also just unanimously understand that, like, you know, the Warriors, as long as KD and Steph and Draymond are healthy, they're going to win again. Like, it's just, I, I don't know why we have to conjure up this incorrect kind of ill-fated idea that the Warriors are susceptible to losing a seven game series if they're healthy to any of these teams, because I just, I don't think that's true. And I think it's okay that that's not true, but these conversations, because it's January, because it's December, because it's so early on and we still have so many months to kill that we just go down this rabbit hole of just kind of, this nonsense of just i don't think come june anyone's gonna be talking about this like i i it's just silly to me i think we just overanalyze a lot of this because we don't have anything else to talk about right now that's fair i mean i will also say this when we're talking about twitter i i do i personally love to build a straw man and then just beat that down as often as i can so i don't think anybody is actually talking about the rockets beating the warriors outside of like their players and there are some diehard rockets fans I don't think anybody is doing that. I will say I do think that there were people that thought the Cavs were going to beat the Warriors last year, um, and I thought that was completely ridiculous that it was. Um, and I don't think that – I think that faction, that mass is has dissipated um, a lot this year. So, But most of the times I will say that, um, that I do tend to uh, take something one person says, uh, apply it to the – uh, larger extrapolate that applied to the larger fan base, they go ahead and just beat that down. I mean, that just makes it more fun uh, for me personally. <laughs> I, I like say- the Rockets. And let me be clear. Like I like watching the Rockets. I like watching Chris Paul. I like watching James Harden. Like they're fun and they're a lot more fun. Than they were the last year, McHale and everything else. But I just, I don't know why we have to just conjure up these. Oh, can they beat the Warriors? Why can't we enjoy these teams while also just living in real reality of just like, you know, they're probably, you know what? Not even probably. They're not gonna beat the Warriors in a seven game series. Like that's fine. Like who cares about the last result? Like uh, it's the regular season right now. Just enjoy them for what they are. Like the Raptors, they're not winning a seven game series against the Cavs. Let's let's not do that. But you know what? DeRozan dropped fifty two the other night. He's shooting threes now. He's passing really well. That's cool. But unless they get like Marcus All or somebody else that really kind of makes it a little bit more interesting, they're not winning anything. But, like, why do we care about this end result that is just, I, I, I don't know. I, I would I just wish we would move on from this. I, you, know I that, know. you know that's not how sports works. Come on now. <laughs> I know. I, I guess it's just a basketball thing where people, like, want to see it as, like, college football or the NFL or even baseball and, like, the way baseball works because, I mean, it's just you never know in some instances. But, yeah, I, I just don't think that's how this is going to work. Um are you bored? I, I, like, why am I even asking you this? But I need to ask you this: Are you bored watching this Golden State team yet? You, you know, you know how I'm going to answer this. I do I, know. I don't. That's why I was hesitating. Just like as I was saying this, I have this written down, and I was just already regretting leaving I, this wide open for you. 
I am bored when Steph Curry is not playing. Um, I also got a little bored when Steph Curry was playing in the beginning of the season. Now, this is more so because the Warriors are bored. Um, the Warriors are used to playing high-stress minutes. They have trained their fans, uh, myself included, to watch this team play high-stress minutes. And in those times, you tend to get a little bit more excited when they win, right? Not that the games are closer, but it's like, hey, they, these guys are going really hard. The other team is going really hard. Uh, there's more at stake. It feels like emotionally. Um, there is nothing on the line emotionally for 82 games for these Warriors, and it shows every single night that they come play. They're 28 and 8 or something. I'm probably wrong. Um, and out of those games, they have actually cared, I think, two games. Truly cared. They got smacked in OKC, um, and then they came and won at home without Steph against LeBron James on Christmas. Those are the two games that they truly care. Maybe Boston, and they lost then too. <laughs> so that you're talking about three out of 30-plus games. That's less than 10% of the time that they actually care about playing basketball. And that's really the way that you start to lose interest in watching this basketball team. Um, last year in the playoffs, they turned it up. So you're going to look for that to happen again. But even then, this year, round one, round two, are these guys even going to care that much? Because they know that if they give 50% effort, that they'll still win. So, yeah, I think for a casual observer, not a casual for observer, a non-Warriors fan, yeah, it's going to be boring. And even for Warriors fans, hardcore Warriors fans, it can be boring too. That's not because spoiled or whatever the hell. That's just because, look, these guys don't care. The coaches don't care. It's going to be boring. That's just how it's going to be. It's not You can't force someone to enjoy something when – Steph Curry's out here just throwing stuff out of bounds or Draymond Green is just, you know, jacking up 30 foot threes because, you know, nothing matters. I think the guy that has it worse is Steve Kerr because he wants these guys to care, but he wants to balance that across uh, winning and also not getting injured and all that stuff. So, but I mean, if that's what you're worried about as a coach, it can't be too bad. So, well, thankfully he has other issues that he can opine on like marijuana <laughs> and other things like that so thankfully he has other things to occupy his time and you know worrying about his best friend luke who's having to hold heart-to-heart meetings with his lakers so yeah steve kerr's got other things and other avenues that he can kind of dive into if he gets too bored dealing with this team so i'm gonna run through because we uh, i know you have to go so i'm gonna run through some quick warrior things and you can answer these pretty quickly if you'd like or you can just go i whatever you're more comfortable with andy <laughs> all right who are you most afraid of playing in a seven-game series in the next two to three years? Which team like kind of scares you the most? Any team that LeBron James is on, still, and I don't think it's close. There's nothing else. Even if LeBron's on like the Lakers, yeah, okay. There's because there's, he'll find a way to bring Paul George with him. Um, mm. I'm operating. I still under don't that think that something. team's close. I still don't think that team is close to nope. the Warriors. It will not be. It will not be, but it won't matter. There's just nothing out out of the fact that there's nothing else that anybody has done that remotely scares me. Uh, Maybe if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum turn into all-stars instead of what I think they're just going to end up being really good above average players. If they turn into all-stars and Al Horford suddenly turns into Draymond Green that Boston fans think he's going to be, sure. 
but I don't think that's happening. Um, outside of outside of that, I think it has to be because there's just there's just no other team that I can think of that can get there. Um, I mean, Anthony Davis on Boston, sure, but you know, hit me up when that happens, right? Um, and what do they have to give up? So yeah. that will probably be number two. That that's probably my number two, right? Um, is Anthony Davis on Boston? But still, then you've got Al Horford, you know, and he and if LeBron stays there, might not even beat them either, right? So um, it's still LeBron wherever he is because he he is still someone that for the Warriors, I think that Kevin Durant. And I'm going to bring it back to it. It's still, I think Kevin Durant is someone that can actually guard him. I know he fouled him, but he's still someone that can actually guard him in crunch time. And that mm-hmm. is just going to make Cleveland just sputter on offense like nothing we've ever seen before, I think. Because the Warriors were never able to actually guard him. Andrew, and Andre Iguodala got a finals MVP for simply like kind of guarding him. That deserved, you know, that should have went to Steph. Um, now that they've got Can I get KD my answer? There, yeah. I think it's LeBron on two teams only. I think there's only two teams that actually would scare me for the Warriors in the next two to three years. San Antonio? San Antonio's one. Him and Kawhi. I don't know what Golden State does in that situation, having to deal with both those guys at full strength. That's enough, I think, to really push the Warriors, regardless of whatever else they have around them. That's just that's a nightmare. They would figure it out. And then Houston. I really do believe if Houston kept Harden and Paul and they were able to get LeBron too. I don't know if that would beat them, but oh my god, like that would, that would be close. I think LeBron would put them very, 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 very close. Those are the only two. Like it's just kind of like the Oklahoma City thing, where it's like, oh, we put Paul George, who I think Paul George is awesome. You put him on the Thunder, and even playing with Westbrook, it's just there's only so much he can do when you're playing with someone who has just such a high usage rate like Westbrook. And I think it's kind of really hurt paul george's perception like i think it's been really bad for him to be honest this year and i i think now he's going to be seen as a second fiddle player and i just don't think that's true especially with what we've seen in the playoffs from him i i I think he's can be a first fiddle on the right team but i i don't know i feel bad for him that he's kind of been delegated to the second guy role which is better for the oklahoma city thunder but not better for paul george's perception among basketball fans i don't think yeah that's fair. Right, I agree well, with either that. way, Paul George will be a warrior next year, so then he can fix all of that <laughs> when he becomes the Andre Iguodala replacement. Hey, listen, they 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 offered him for Clay, and the Warriors said no. That was uh, I agree, I agree. So. All right, uh, next up, favorite under the radar thing about this Warriors team? Oh, um, oh, the ability for them to develop players or find players that is going to make this run more sustainable than any team that LeBron James could ever have. And now part of this is going to be, uh, Hey, LeBron James, uh, he wants older players and he, maybe he's, you know, on teams and owners and management and whatever that just aren't really good at building out these players. But I think that with McCall, who's actually having not a good year, he's actually having a sophomore slump, but I still think there's something there in terms of he can be a really good role player. Um, and then you've got Jordan Bell, who at this point, um, I mean, think, think of Jordan Bell as a, a poor man's version of Draymond Green and Patrick McCall as a poor man's version of Andre Iguodala. And that's exactly who the Warriors is trying to mold them into. And if you're talking about Steph Curry and Durant having, let's say, 
they were both about 29. So let's say about four to five more prime years. And you want those guys to supplement those in those prime years. We're talking about four, five, six titles. And then they're going to be riding off um, for, you know, two, three more years. That's the span of about almost a decade where the Warriors are going to have need to have important role players that other guys never have. You look at the Spurs, they've done it, right? The Warriors want to be the Spurs. You look at the Spurs, they've done it. But you look at other teams like the Miami Heat, anyone with LeBron, right? You look at any other team that is the in, uh, uh, beforehand, Detroit, or even anybody who's won a championship. They haven't been able to develop They want to keep this going. I think the Warriors have been able to do that. I think McCall and Bell are going to be able to do that. Um, and I think they're going to figure something out there to get it so that when, if and when they do lose the uh, Draymond or Clay, they'll have somebody there um, to back them up, or maybe you know they'll end up with an Anthony Davis. So, um, but I do think on the peripheral, on the margins, they're able to develop players a lot better than any other um, league or sorry any other team. Um, and I don't think that their scouting is necessarily great or, or anything. Is it's just that. Um, those players, you know, are going to be a lot better around these stars and they find the right guys. Like McCall has long wingspan. Jordan Bell has, um, you know, the type of defensive IQ and passing IQ that Draymond has. So they're able to find that. Um, so I think that's underrated. But he's not in the top 10 in real plus minus like Zaza is among <laughs> all qualified centers. So, you know, it's, uh, it's still a work in progress <laughs> with Jordan Bell. He's not He's not Zaza yet. And, and believe me, Kerr will, will, will tell Warriors fans every day, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to change anytime soon. But I actually like that about Kerr. Kerr's not perfect. I like the Warriors aren't perfect by everything. I like that the, the Jordan Bell stuff is not going to become a full-time thing until like midway next year. Like he does this over and over again. Um, yeah, it's cool. Uh, but at least you don't have Anderson Barajal in your life anymore. Next oh, up, <laughs> what would you like to see this team do prior to the deadline? Find a shooter. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm content with them not uh, not doing absolutely anything. I actually would rather them not do anything um, and just end up giving those minutes to McCall, see what he can do, um, play Bell a little more. Um, I, I'd rather have them do that. Um, but if they're going to look out there, um, I think they've given up a little bit on Nick Young. Uh, they actually haven't even bothered to play him. Uh, and I think that's a proponent of the fact that He's really only out there to do one thing, um, and he can't play defense, and he doesn't really pass. They don't want him to pass, but he's really out there to just shoot, but they need that from a point guard, right? And he's not a point guard, uh, someone that can back up Steph. So, you know, if they're going to do that, they'll do that. They'll try to uh, rather have him find a shooter, but really they need McCall to blossom. He struggled, as I said before. He struggled. They need him to be able to shoot, to cut, to be aggressive. He gets in his own head a lot. So they need him to do that. They need Omri Caspi. Uh, do love the guy, but he has to be able to shoot more threes. He just has to shoot them. He just doesn't want to for some reason because um, they need that spacing. So really, uh, there's really nothing for them to do. They're by far the deepest team in the league. Um, and I guess if they were to find someone, it kind of just be – with this team, they won't be playing much. So there's really no point. Um, it would take them so long to get acclimated and things like that. That And Steve Kerr someone that's just not going to throw them out there. Um, unless it's absolutely, absolutely necessary, like with Anderson Varishow, like you're saying, right? Because Bo gets down and things like that, and, and he just needs to always play a big. But even if you want to play big, these guys have got a bunch. So um, really, there's not much for them to do, which is, I guess, the best thing you could ask for. <laughs> That's true. Last thing, and then we have to go. 
why is Clay's defensive real plus minus in the negatives this year? Because I think it is every year. I think his defensive rating or his numbers usually aren't great defensively. Defensive why? numbers. Are, what is are, what's going on with that? Yeah, I, I so I've talked to uh, a couple Warriors um, people that cover the team, not uh, not 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 him himself. Uh, although the, now that you bring that up, maybe I should. <laughs> but um, it's because he's a guy that number one, he plays a lot with the bench only, um, mm. a bench only that struggles a, a little bit. Um, and also he's not a great team defender. Um, so he's, he's a guy that's tasked simply with stopping one guy. Right. And a lot of the times if he's playing around guys that aren't good. So if he's not playing with Draymond Green and he's not playing with nowadays, Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, or even, or even so sometimes he does play with them. It's that he's tasked with stopping one guy and those type of things are where, um, that's and if you talk to the coaches, this one I've done. If you talk to the coaches, they love Clay. They rave about him. Like he's their best ISO ISO defender. Um, yeah. But it's just that he doesn't do. They don't want him to do anything outside of that. So any so if they put him around someone and he plays with all different types of lineups, his defensive rating does uh, go down because of that. Um, specifically, there's something in regards to the stats that I don't know. You caught me. I don't know off the top of my head that in terms of rating that it actually affects him. It's like, it's like how in PR, if somebody's good on offense, but they don't like shooting up free throws or something like that. Or if somebody's like, it's like a loophole. Like if they take a lot of shots or, uh, or, or something that they have a good PR, regardless of their, if they're actually like efficient or not, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, same with clay, right? He's tasked with only doing one thing. And sometimes that drags on his defensive rating. Cause he's just playing against with a bunch of guys that don't play defense that well. Um, but if you, if he is the guy that though he is able to follow that, um, what do you call it? That scouting report to a T. Um, like Draymond Green is incredibly smart, but Clay Thompson is someone that hey, like hey, this guy Kyrie likes to go, you know, to the left hand finish when he's dribbling this way. But Clay is a guy that would be able to follow that to a T more so than any other player on the Warriors. Though, if you had to ask me, the smartest player on the Warriors is probably Andre Iguodala. It's probably not that close. Um, but Clay is right there. Um, he, okay. he's right there defensively. Um, it's just that, yeah, no help defense. Uh, doesn't help anyone else out. It's just him on an island. Cool. All right. Well, that makes sense. Now I'm going to be zoning this out the next Warriors game that I watch, uh, <laughs> which will be tomorrow against a James Hardenless Rockets team. So check that out. Um, still be fun. Still be. I think also the the opener was still good. The Warriors are just great in the opener. You never know what you're going to get. Like the Jonathan Simmons game a year ago, you had the Rockets treating it like they just won the Super Bowl. Like you just you never know when you yep. watch the Warriors play these games. So that's gonna be fun, Andy. I appreciate you taking the time. We can find you on Twitter at Andy K H Lou, and we can listen to you on the Light Years Podcast, the Great Warriors Podcast, on Leverage the Chat, and read you at WarriorsWorld.com. Andy, thank you so much. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you as always. All right, thanks, Andy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.